from the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, this is All About Grants. Welcome to All About Grants. This is Megan Columbus from NIH's Office of Extramural Research, here with Dr. Sally Amaro, NIH's Peer Review Policy Officer, amongst other things, to talk about what grant application information can be updated after submission of that application, but before peer review. So, Sally, why does NIH allow post-submission materials at all? Shouldn't the application be self-contained? Well, thank you for the opportunity to describe this policy. So to your question about why have post-submission materials at all, um, the policy is intended to allow um, for certain unforeseen events that might happen f to an investigator, to their institution, to the project that would not have been anticipated or known at the time of submission. Can you give me some examples of the types of materials that are allowed? Sure. So we would allow biographical sketches for, say, a new investigator who would be brought onto a project if another investigator were lost. Let's say they were ill, they retired, they left the institution. We would allow adjustments resulting from natural disasters, such as floods, hurricanes, what have you, maybe loss of an animal colony change of institution. If the PDPI leaves the institution and they need to find a new PDPI, that would be another example. Uh, one that's often um, talked about is when a publication is accepted um, after submission of the application. And we do allow the investigator to notify the study section if a publication has been accepted, but we don't allow the full publication. Okay, and those are some examples, and the notice provides the full list. Who on the applicant side should be providing this information to NIH, and who should they be providing it to? So the information can come from either the PDPI or from the signing official, the authorized organization representative at the applicant institution. If the PDPI sends the information in, they must provide evidence or documentation that the AOR is aware of the submission. They can't just CC the AOR. There has to be some previous email or agreement from the AOR um, on behalf of the applicant institution. Or the AOR can submit it and let the PDPI know. That information is sent to the scientific review officer, the SRO, who is managing the review of that application. Great. And they would be able to find the information on the SRO through their ERA Commons account. Correct. You had mentioned previously about articles that have been accepted for publication. I think there's a 30-day cutoff for notification that a paper was accepted. Can you talk a little bit more about that and why that exists? So the 30-day deadline was put in place to try to normalize the process across the agency to allow enough time for reviewers to have the same amount of information and not be disrupted in their evaluations coming up to the study section meeting. One has to keep in mind that 
reviewers need to prepare their critiques and preliminary scores often a week in advance of the study section meeting. So there's not a whole lot of time here for them to do their work after the 30-day deadline. Okay, and so that's 30 days before the review meeting. Right. And they should be corresponding then with the SRO, the Scientific Review Officer at NIH, to determine that timing then. So what happens if I have multiple papers, if I'm that lucky, right? Can I, can I be submitting multiple items? Absolutely. So it, it might happen that, unfortunately, there's been a natural disaster and somebody has left the institution. So we would allow that kind of material to um, come in 30 days before the study section. I will say, though, it gets a little awkward if the PDPI leaves the institution and takes the application with them, then that's a lot of updating. And they might, uh, the new institution might think about withdrawing the application and, and submitting a clean one. But they're not required to do that. Correct. I know one of the questions that we get all the time is about late-breaking research findings, and people really want to get that in to make the strongest application possible. Can you talk a little bit about why we don't allow that? Well, it's hard to argue that a late-breaking research finding was not anticipated when the application was submitted. So it would, it would have to be sort of a eureka moment to make that argument. And again, it's about fairness. So the reviewers need to have a set amount of information to consider in doing their work. Well, I think, you know, as, as we think about um, NIH accommodating these kinds of changes, we need to remember the volume of applications that we're handling at any given time, right? So we're dealing with a lot, and any additional churn jeopardizes our ability to get things done in time, right? And adds burden to the reviewers. Which is a big consideration because reviewers are not always easy to find, right, in the volumes that we need them. Can you think of other common situations where applicants might have misconceptions about what's allowed? So it, we get a lot of questions about submitting videos as part of application materials. And in the technological age, videos are more and more important to demonstrate things that have a time element or how something functions. So we do allow videos as post-submission materials, but one has to follow the rules that are specified in the guide notice for submitting videos. Okay, and one of those rules are really that you have to make note of that video in the application itself, in the cover letter, in the research strategy. It has to be very clear that it's coming in in order for you to be able to submit it as post-submission materials. Correct, and there are only certain types of videos that we will accept. We're not looking to allow tours of laboratories or copies of um, presentations posters, that sort of thing. Yeah. We're really looking for something that pertains to the science. And so as with every other one of NIH's policies, following the rules, I think, is really important. Note that NIH has a page on our grants and funding website that is devoted to application submission policies. The post-submission materials policy is listed on that page, as should be the video submission policy. And so the, you, we'll give you the URL for that in just a few minutes. 
But thank you for joining us today. For NIH and OER, this is Megan Columbus. For more information on post-submission materials, please visit grants.nih.gov and search for post-submission application materials. Once again, that's g-r-a-n-t-s dot n-i-h dot g-o-v.